This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. I am Noah Waspy, and today I'm presenting you another episode in the series of things that we're calling What's Working. But first, a poem. Letter to Someone Living 50 Years From Now by Matthew Oldsman Most likely, you think we hated the elephant, the golden toad, the thylacine, and all variations of whale harpooned or hacked into extinction. It must seem like we sought to leave you nothing but benzene, mercury, the stomachs of seagulls ripped with jet fuel and plastic. You probably doubt we were capable of joy, but I assure you we were. We still had the night sky back then, and like our ancestors, we admired its illuminated doodles of scorpion outlines and upside-down ladles. Absolutely, there were some forests left. Absolutely, we still had some lakes. I'm saying it wasn't all lead paint and sulfur dioxide. There were bees back then, and they pollinated a euphoria of flowers so we might contemplate the great mysteries and finally ask, hey guys, what's transcendence? And then, all the bees were dead. Pretty dark poem, I know, but... I think it would be a really cool mentor text to use in class. And if you use it, please be sure to contact me. My contact information is in the show notes. Let me know how it went. We might just feature you in a future episode of Right Answers. Now, today I interview a teacher out of Deer Park, Ohio. Her name is Sarah Godwin. And we really spent a lot of time unpacking how she implements friend of the podcast, Liz Prather's process called project-based writing in order to help students have choice. Because, you know, in the teaching profession, we all know that choice is important. But how many times have you tried implementing something that has to do with student choice and then it backfires in lots of unexpected and unintended ways? Sarah has a really great approach to choice. And I think that it's not just intentional, but it's practical. I think any of us could probably use a process like Sarah's. So I'm so excited for you to hear this interview with Sarah Godwin. So here it is, my interview with Sarah Godwin. So what's been working well for you, even though we've been teaching in this crazy pandemic, what's been working? Uh, so um, I've actually had a lot of success when it comes to writing, well, writing and reading. Um, in giving my students as much choice as I possibly can. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's sort of a big thing that we've been talking about in the education world for a long time, but um, you know, a couple of summers ago, I came across, I discovered, even though I'd been out for a little bit, um, Penny Kittle's Book Love. And our department read that. And as a result, because I teach 11th grade, I don't have quite the amount of restrictions that maybe some other grades that have end of course testing have. So I'm able to experiment a little bit more. So as a result of reading that book, which led me to her book that she did with um, 
Kelly Gallagher, 180 Days. So as a result of reading those two books, I sort of dove into the idea of um, student choice, especially when it comes to reading texts. Um, so at this point in my classroom, I would say probably 75% of what my students read is self-selected. Um, and so I've, you know, using those two texts, the 180 days and the book love, I've managed to build a really strong independent reading program in my college prep classes and to an extent in my AP classes, but because that's AP, it's a little bit more structured. So when I talk about this, it's primarily in my college prep classes. Um, so we've, um, we've been able to use some department money to work on building up our classroom library. And we have a really good relationship with our public library, which is literally like right around the corner. I can walk to it from my building. And um, they actually bring over books to our in-house library and students can check them out from our in-school library, but it, it's part of our public library relationship. So um, we do, I do 10 minutes of reading at the beginning of the bell every day, whether we're in person or, um, or remote, if I'm doing like a Zoom call, it actually works out really well because it gives kids who maybe don't get into class on time or they join a little late or you know, they forget they're supposed to be on the Zoom. It gives me a chance to shoot them a quick email and say, hey, don't forget we're in class, but everybody else is working on their independent reading. And so- What, what else, do, what else do you do while they're reading? What else do you do? So I tend to, when we're in person, especially, I try to read with them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I will do at least two, maybe three times a week if I can, um, like a quick one or two minute book chat um, where I talk about what I'm reading and or something I've just finished reading that they think they would like. And then I give them 10 minutes. I try to read with them as much as I can, but it also gives me a chance to like shoot off a quick email for kids who have forgotten to join the Zoom or if we're in person, take attendance, um, you know, make sure I have all my papers and everything. But as much as possible, I try to read with them because I'm a big proponent of modeling what we ask our students to do. And, you know, it also gives me a chance to sort of touch base with them about what they're reading. So while they're reading, I can sort of pop around and be like, hey, how's your book coming? Tell me a little bit about it. And, oh, I haven't read that book. Can you tell me what's going on with it? Or if I have read it, oh my gosh, have you gotten to the part? No spoilers, but we're right. So it, it helps me um, touch base with them and make sure that they're actually, you know, mm -hmm. doing reading instead of just sitting there pretending to page through books. So there's lots of stuff. Um, I try to touch base with them um, about the books they're reading at least... I don't know, once every two weeks, just to get a feel for how they're coming along. And if they're struggling with it, we try to get a different book in their hands and that kind of stuff. So, that's, so you, that's that reading choice. And then as a result, I started looking for writing, ways that I can um, in, you know, build choice in the writing that I do with my students. And so that led me, when I did my four week um, this past summer with OWP, um, my, you have book clubs in there. And my, my group did um, project-based writing. Ooh, good book. So I've jumped into that, you know, head first. We've already done a couple of cycles of it and it's worked out really well. It took a little while for students, both in reading and writing, their writing projects to be like, I'm sorry, we're allowed to read whatever we want or we're allowed to write about whatever we want. But once they got used to that idea, it really clicked and it's led to a lot of success that works both in person and remote. So I wanna break this down just a little bit, what the process of what you're doing and the structure of what you're doing with students. Um, with, with your project-based writing approach, how does the typical 
class or series of classes. How is that structured for you? Yeah, so um, it depends on where we are in the process. So for those who aren't familiar, the project-based writing is sort of, it uses steps along the way to teach kids about writing process, right? So we all know as writers, you don't just sit down and you write and then you have your completed thing and it's suddenly published. Like there's a process that you go through, yeah. right? So that's sort of what we work on in class. So we do you do the pitch? We do, we do the okay. pitch. So we start off, I spent the, at the very beginning of the year, we spent like a month just working on idea generation. So we did a lot of like, here's a, here's a mentor text. Let's write from that text. Here are some topics. Every week I put up on my, cause we have Schoology as our learning management system. So I have a running slideshow and every week I have a different set of like six prompts that they can pull from. So if they're ever feeling like, I'm not really feeling what we're talking about in class today, I always tell them just pull from one of those prompts from one of the past weeks. Mm. So I try to, and then I have a little writing corner that has like a box full of prompts on paper. And then from, you know, a la Beth Reimer, I have like a board that has like a little string on it with clips that have little things that they get like keys and postcards and, you know, stuff like that, that just visually might spur them. And then I have a bunch of like photo, like coffee table books that they could pull from pictures. So I try and have as much as I can to inspire the writing in the classroom. So, so what you're doing here is instead of just throwing students into the process where they pick a topic, you're giving students lots of opportunities to write about lots of different things that they can draw from when it's time to pick a topic. I think that's so smart. Yeah, most definitely. And we do, we do some of the formal, like if anybody's done OWP um, professional development, we do some of that formal idea generation stuff where you do like a day in your life and where can you find places to write from or, you know, um, heart maps and, and, and scars and all that kind of like traditional stuff. But I also, so we have, so there's always at least something that they can pull from that they find interesting to write about. Um, so I try and get that basis so we can keep dipping into that pool throughout the entire year while we're working on our writing. So once you get to the point where they can choose a topic and pitch their topics, what do you do next with students? So, so there's like a process that Liz Prather talks about in her book. It's sort of like a seven step thing. So it starts with the idea of like pitch. So they, once they figure out what they're going to write about, they um, do like a little bit of, they have a list of questions that I give them that they sort of fill out. Like, why do you like this topic? what you know what do you have to say about this topic why is this topic important to your audience who is your audience what are you trying to do with this are you trying to inform us or argue something or you know what is the point what is the purpose so we sort of break down those questions and it's great because we can also talk about the idea of the um, relationship between audience and speaker and purpose and all that kind of stuff so without them knowing it they get a little rhetorical analysis lesson yeah. involved as well. Um, so we talk about the importance of thinking about who you're writing for and how that changes what you're writing and how you're writing it. And so once they have those sort of formed in their minds, we do our pitch sessions where um, they can, and I've actually done these both in person and remotely at this point, virtually. And the nice thing is because we have Zoom, instead of doing them for the whole class, I'll just put them in breakout rooms with like four or five other people and give them a half an hour. Everybody gets their five minutes to do their thing and they get feedback. But since I can't be in every single one, I have them fill out feedback sheets so I can sort of see what kind of feedback they're giving to each other. Um, so they do their pitch and then kids ask them questions and give them feedback and things like that. And then the next step is to write their formal proposal. And that's what comes to me. It's a like three to 500 word 
here's what I'm doing. And it's basically taking the same information from their, their pitch and putting it in a formal writing piece. Like this is what I'm writing about. This is why I'm writing it. Here's my audience. Here's what form it's going to take. Here's my goals for the length it's going to be and that kind of stuff. I love what you're doing with this project-based writing approach, the way that you are implementing it, because I can tell that you're being really intentional to make, to do everything you can to make sure that not just the grade or the product, but the writing itself matters every step. Because any teacher who's tried to do choice, like usually our first step is let's let them have choice. And then we're, then students, some students are like, yeah. And then most of the students are like, wait, how am I going to get a grade for this? Am I making the right choice? I don't know what I even like at this point in my life. I don't know what my passions are. And what you're doing is you're using a process to help students tap into things that they will eventually love writing about. You're tapping into the process parts of it, not just the product. Yeah. And that's what I talked to them about. You know, I said, you know, I want you to write about something that you enjoy writing about, something that you enjoy because it'll make the process of writing a lot easier, especially for kids who really struggle with writing, you know? Um, I would rather have a kid write, you know, 20 pages about their favorite video game, which I don't, who knows if I've ever heard of it, but I would rather have that than me say, okay, you have to write a three page argument essay about color symbolism in the great Gatsby. And it means nothing to them. You know, I want the, I want the writing to mean something to them and to be important to them because that's where you build a love of writing. So this basis, this foundation of choice, how does that play out for you in your current classroom setup compared to what you might've done before? Um, well, almost all of the writing we do is choice-based now. I might do, you know, we still have our certain types of writing that we have to hit on over the course of the year. So this is my first year really digging into this project-based writing thing. So the very first cycle that we did, it was completely, they could write about whatever they want. It could be in whatever form they wanted. And I found that my students got sort of like, oh, I don't even know what that means. So we had to spend a little time talking about, okay, what do we mean by form? You know, we had to look at examples and we went back to some of the texts we had look at, looked at at the beginning of the year when we were doing our writing generation and our idea generation. We looked at some of those texts and say, okay, here's what the form is. It's a poem or it's a brochure, it's an infographic or whatever. And it really sort of opened up. And we spent some time sort of looking at different types of writing that we saw in our everyday lives, whether it was like film or video game reviews or even like scripts for um, YouTube videos and things like that. So we tried to open it up to as many different types of writing and forms of writing as they could think of. And the sky was sort of the limit. But for them, once they chose their topic, form sort of naturally came. Like for instance, I had some kids who were really interested in writing about World War II for whatever reason. I had like five kids that were super into World War II this year. So they naturally gravitated toward either sort of those crash course style YouTube videos or personal journal entries like soldiers wrote. So I had like these two very divergent kind of very either personal or sort of academic, silly slash academic based things but they were incredible how they came out because they, it was a form that, that was natural or, or that the student was drawn to as opposed to this imposed form. And the writing that I got from them was so much more um, rich and in-depth and heartfelt than I would have gotten from something that I just said, here, write this thing, you know? Wow. Why did you decide to introduce this, you know, new way of introducing choice during a year of pandemic teaching? Well... it's funny it's rare that two years in a row I'll be like I'm just gonna do the same thing and most I know most teachers 
are very, you know, every year they're trying to find something new. And so mm-hmm. this summer, when I was doing the four week, we spent a lot of time talking about, okay, we know next year, this coming school year is going to be crazy. What can we do in our classrooms that can transition on a dime between in-person or hybrid or um, virtual learning, right? And so one of the things that really drew me to this pro- the project-based writing is that it is so student-centric and so student-focused that regard- regardless of where we were, they were going to be able to work on it because it's so individualized. They didn't need me standing up in front of them, giving them like, here's exactly what you need to write and here's what I, and I knew that if we did go full remote, which we ended up doing, we, we went remote from like mid-October through, we just came back to in-person this week. So, um, so I knew even if we were doing Zoom calls, I could put everybody in a breakout room I could meet with them one-on-one and we could have those conversations. And when I wasn't meeting with them, they'll be working on what they needed to work on. So it, it sort of naturally lends itself to multiple styles of whatever we have going on in our district at any given mm-hmm. moment, we can just put, we can just easily transition from one to the other. So it's one of those situations where instead of it feeling like a risk trying something new, you could see how it was going to work out. Now, Definitely. Yeah, I it, guess... It, it, it almost, it was like a little bit of a safety net because I didn't have to, you know, I could, I didn't have to take what I had been doing for X number of years and try and make it fit into the, you know, the square peg fit into a round hole, right? I could take what I wanted to do and figure out how it could work regardless of what mode we were in. And that was really in a way kind of freeing and liberating and, and kind of exciting going into this school year, knowing there was something that I was really passionate about that I could start using in my classroom right away. Do you also feel like we're playing with house money with this situation? Like nobody expects success. So if you fail, that's what everyone expected. So there's really nothing to lose. You might as well try something big. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting some really great success out of it. Like, you know, kids who had we been in a traditional classroom and I said, you know, my favorite example, right about color symbolism in the great Gatsby, because no one wants to write about that, especially even me who loves that book. Um, You know, they, they would not have experienced success with that kind of writing. But across the board, I got solid writing from almost all of my kids. You know, I had some kids who hadn't really written anything when we were on hybrid. We go into this mode of project-based writing. I get a 10, you know, a 10-part series about their favorite video games or, you know, a top 10 list of the craziest moments in football history that's like 20, um, slides long, you know, something I never would have gotten from them in person with video clips and like analysis of the plays and, you know, little bits about why this player steps, you know, is highlighted in this and not in this one. And it, it was really interesting to sort of see what they were passionate about in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to wow. in other circumstances if my mind hadn't been forced, if I hadn't been forced to think outside of the box with this setup this wow. year. So as like building off of this point is we, uh, I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but with whatever time is left in the school year, when this episode mm-hmm. comes out, what do you hope teachers will keep in mind? Two things, I think. One, don't be afraid to try new things, right? Because you never know what kind of, what's the worst thing that's going to happen. It doesn't work well. So you learn from it and you grow from it and your students learn from it and grow from it. And be honest with your students if you're doing something and it's not working. Be like, hey guys, why isn't this working for you? You know, try and have those conversations with your students because they're just as much as part of their education as you are, if not a bigger part. 
So, you know, try new things. Don't be afraid to try new things. And I know that's easy for me, who isn't a tested, you know, grade level to say. And as someone who's maybe looking, looking down the road and seeing that, and of course, exam at the end of the year can be a little scary, but I feel like I've gotten such better results from my students writing doing this than anything I did that was maybe test related in the past. Um, the other thing is trust your students, you know? I think a lot of us, we tend to be a bit um, a bit attached to what the way we think our classrooms should run and, and what we want to happen in our classrooms. And we sometimes, sometimes forget that, you know, the kids that are sitting in front of us are, they have a lot to say and they have things that they want to say. So we need to trust them that they're going to be able to say those things. And when they aren't feeling confident about it, we need to feel, we need to trust them and be able to sort of prop them up and give them that confidence when they don't have it. Because I think after years of being told what to read and being told what to write, they lose that confidence and that love. So anytime they get a chance to sort of tap into that again, it can be really powerful and impactful for them. We all know that implementing different forms of student choice, we know that it's important but we also know that it's easier said than done. So I was really excited to share this interview with Sarah Godwin with you today. And if you would like to connect with Sarah, you can find her information in this episode's show notes. And if you would like to connect with the Ohio Writing Project, you can find links to how you can connect with us also in the show notes. As I've talked to teachers in this series, I've found that although this has been probably the most stressful year of teaching, it's also maybe been the most creative year of teaching. So that is my wish for you with whatever time is left in the school year when you're listening to this episode. I hope that you're able to sift through the stress to find that creative spark. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to Write Answers. <laughs>